0: Welcome to Tailboard Talk, a 4th Shift Fitcast. The mission of Tailboard Talk and the 4th Shift Fitness is to educate and train fire service personnel to increase durability and decrease the potential for injuries and their associated costs. My name is Chris Morella, owner and founder of 4th Shift Fitness. I'll use my experience as a personal trainer, strength coach, and 15-year veteran of the fire service to deliver tips, tricks, lessons, and information specifically geared towards the health and wellness of firefighters and paramedics. Each episode, you'll leave with immediate deliverables that will improve performance and resilience and keep you in the fight through your career and into retirement. Let's get into it. What's happening, crew? Thanks for coming back, or thanks for checking out Tailboard Talk, a fourth shift fit cast for the first time if you're just joining us, uh, we're only five episodes in, so plenty of time to go back and check them all out. Please do so, but make sure you listen to today. And keep in mind today, my three goals for these things, right? And this was in episode one, but my three goals for these casts is to be purposeful, practical, and applicable. And I want you to remember that because we're talking about something that can kind of polarize people. Not attacking the way you train, okay? I promise I'm not attacking it. All I'm going to do today is offer you something you can add into your training, or a very good way to get started with your training if you're looking to get something going, okay? So this today's topic is based off of a short piece of episode four with Aaron Quinn. And that's when we started talking about using high-intensity training or the CrossFit style of training or maximal training every single time. Like that's the only tool you have in your toolbox. That's the only thing you're going to. And every time you go to work out, you're blowing yourself out and ending up on a puddle on the floor. So Aaron had some thoughts on it. I'm gonna play you a uh, clip real quickly, and then we're going to go from there.
1: It's training and kind of high intensity interval training and high intensity CrossFit style. I think there's some problems with that. What I see is um, we teach people to push as hard as possible, um, and 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 the go button is always pressed down. The unfortunate thing that in a tactical situation, if we push that level, a lot of our you know tier two tier three Definitely two three movement patterns kind of deteriorate. Uh, our our decision-making becomes less. Our prefrontal cortex starts to shut down. These are all things from a tactical standpoint that are not good, right? So we need to understand how to train and and work out with a heart rate somewhere between 120 maybe at the low end to 170 at the high end. And we need to keep that that heart rate ideally 140, 150, so we can have those tier two some tier three movement patterns we can have better decision making we can have better visual acuity we can have better auditory acuity
0: and so that's what we're working off of from today because it's a great point but there's a ton in there to dig into in just that short minute or so clip and we're not going to get into all of it okay but what i want to focus on today is specifically those heart rate zones and what's referred to is submaximal training now here's the disclaimer right off the bat and like i said i'm not attacking your way of training so don't get all weird I I really like, and I use, and I love, and I program, and I tell people to do it, high intensity training. I do, it's phenomenal. The benefits of it are off the charts. There was actually a study that was just put out in the past couple days from NSCA about high intensity training and firefighters and how how good it is for firefighters. 100%, okay, I'm totally down with that. But if you're not using submaximal training you're missing part of your program, okay? So let's get into just the fundamentals first. What is maximal and what is submaximal? And to determine what those are, we have to look at heart rate zones. Now, think back to heart rate zones. You might have seen them on a poster in gym class like a million years ago. You might have seen it on a chart on the treadmill and it's that thing with a ton of boxes on it. It looks like a graph and it's got like a rainbow of three or four colors of intensity levels and percentages on there. And that's basically a percentage of your max heart rate, okay? And you can find that. There's an old school formula for that, which is 220 minus your age, okay? And then you take a percentage of that number. So what I would do is, being 35, I would do 220 minus 35, and then I would multiply that number by 0.6 or 0.7 or 0.8 or 0.95 or whatever percentage of my max heart rate I want to be working at. Now, maximal training is anywhere north, typically, it's classified anywhere north of 85%. So we're getting up there, okay? We're getting close to what's considered your max heart rate. And submaximal is just below that, okay? But it's still above about 70% of your max heart rate. So it's a, it's still a relatively narrow window just below maximal training where I think there's a ton of value to be had, not only from the physical side, but also, like Aaron mentioned, from the cognitive ability standpoint. And so here's some ways you can tell if you train more maximally or submaximally, And the easiest one is the talk test. If you're training all out and think of the last real, real hard workout you did, if you can only talk in one word or you can't talk at all, that's a maximal workout. That's all out. I got nothing left. Either I'm getting crushed by a bar and I can't talk or I'm so out of breath, my heart's racing and beating in my ears, I can't talk. That's a maximal workout, okay? submaximal. Is kind of classified the same way we talk about our patients on the ambulance, asthmatic patients, COPD, CHF. Can they talk in one to two word sentences, full sentences? Are they under no distress at all? And we're looking to be in that more closer to full sentences range. You still have to catch your breath to talk. If you were working, you'd have to take a few breaths before you talk on the microphone, but you can still communicate with people effectively. And so we have to ask ourselves, where does firefighting fit between those two? What is it? Is it maximal or submaximal? And the short answer is both. And that's why we need both for sure. But a majority of it, a majority of your fire scene or your intense EMS call or whatever you're doing is going to be submaximal and probably even lower than that. There's going to be spikes and there's going to be some intense moments, but I don't need you for like three to five to seven minutes going all out crazy person. I need you for the duration of two bottles plus some exterior work in the beginning and end of this thing. So I need more capability on the submaximal part in a lot of circumstances than I do on the maximal part of this thing. And what we've seen though is a trend for firefighters to only use high intensity interval training, or only use CrossFit or only use one method of high intensity exercise for everything. Okay, there is no long slow distance in there, there's no submaximal training, and like I said that has some amazing benefits, but there's also some blind spots in it. And I get it, all right? When I take a week off or I miss a few workouts, the first thing I think of isn't, okay, I need to work at 70% of my capacity for half an hour. That's not what I think. I think I need to get back in it. I got to hit it hard. I got to smash the go button. I need to make up for lost time, and I need to get some work in because I skipped a bunch of workouts. Now I got to make up for it, right? And while that may feel like the right thing to do, it may not necessarily be the right thing to do. And here's why. Maximal training has some inherent risks and downfalls to it. And I just wrote down three. I'm gonna go over three real quick and then three, uh, three benefits to submaximal training. The first one with maximal training is it does have a higher injury risk, all right? It just does. And that's either from overloading when you're doing your maximal lifts, uh, bench squat, deadlift, stuff like that, or it's from form breakdown because you're using heavier weights for a shorter duration with higher intensity. It uses a lot of compound movements under load and speed, and so there's just a higher possibility, really, for injury in that, acute injury more than anything. The second one is that mentality I talked about. If you're going to successfully do CrossFit or you're going to successfully do a high-intensity interval training workout, the mindset isn't, okay, I need to keep my wits about me. I need to think about what I'm doing. I need to be smart about this. No, the mindset is smash the go button, hit the panic button, pedal to the metal, get going, put your head down and drive forward. Okay. And that's not exactly the best mentality on the fire scene. That's not what I want to transfer over. So the transference to that mentality is something I worry about because I don't need a psychopath running through doors for seven minutes at the fire scene. I need somebody who's going to have their wits about them, help me make decisions, help me troubleshoot things and run the fire scene more efficiently and safely. Okay. Not to mention, and Aaron touched on this quickly in episode four, but the air management side of this thing is absolutely uh, a huge issue, okay? Because if you're in your Airdyne sprint workout or you're in your CrossFit workout or high intensity workout, whatever it is, you're not thinking, I need to control my respirations. I need to control control my breathing so I don't run out of air. You're just thinking, I need to get done with this thing as fast as possible. And then you can get caught in that same mentality on the fire ground when you are on air, I mean, here's the old gem, right? Is that you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to your level of training. So whatever you do most often and most consistently, that's how you're gonna act or operate under times of stress. So if we're in a building and we're both on air and in your mind, this is go time, okay? You've lost the ability to gate and feather. You've lost the ability to only use so much effort independent of how much stress is coming at you. You're gonna burn through that bottle real quick. Okay, and especially with the new standards in our air packs going from essentially quarter service to third service alarms, you're going to blow your bottle through in about 9, 10 minutes, maybe that long, if you're just breathing like you wouldn't a workout. So with that, I want you to think about the submaximal stuff when I talk about in a minute as a way to maybe have a better set of skills to deal with stress and work and exertion for those times when you're plugged in. You need that history, that heat history of exercise when you're operating on the fire ground. And the third one is what kind of Aaron brought up with the cognitive ability when you enter certain levels of heart rate and respirations and stress. And I looked up a study, and essentially what this is, is they, they put 56 college kids under a stressful situation and asked them to make decisions. And this was a gambling test. So they made them make decisions during the Iowa gambling task, and here's what they found. Compared to controls, and by the way, the name of this study is Effects of Acute Stress on Decision-Making. I mean, sounds relatively applicable to what we do, right? Acute stress and decision-making. So what they found was compared to controls, participants in the stress condition responded with higher heart rates and skin conductance responses. They reported more negative affect and on the decision-making task made less advantageous choices. Then they said the results suggest that the presence of a stressor may generally result in failure to attend to the full range of possible consequences of a decision. So as you get stressed, you have the potential to make worse decisions and have the potential to not be able to see the outcome of your decisions farther down the line, which leads you down possibly a path of destruction. And I use this study because it uses stress specifically for that reason. I didn't use one that uses exercise stress, but just mental stress because that's just one aspect of what we go through and keep in mind these kids were in a controlled environment they were sitting down after being stressed out and trying to make decisions and they still had that decrease in cognitive ability now add in our fire scene or our ems scene we're stressed not only mentally but physically not only do we have to problem solve but we're problem solving while walking and while talking and while carrying things and telling people where to go and using your radio, right? We have all these different layers on top of that, so it's only fair to theorize, right, that our potential for making bad decisions only goes up. It only goes up with the presence of stress. And here's how it ties back in, because remember, the body really doesn't do a good job of discerning where stress is coming from. It just knows that it's under stress, and it has to react appropriately. So it doesn't know if it's physical, mental, emotional, pain, exertion, anything like that, all it knows is I got to push these chemicals out and that's going to mean my heart has to beat faster. I got to breathe faster. I need more blood flow. I got to shut certain things down. I got to kick th- certain things up. And that's what it does. And what that means, again, is if that's all you have, if all you have is the go button, the panic button, smash it, then when those chemicals start flying, you're going to pop right back into that zone. You're going to bypass gears two through four and jump right to gear five. You're going, okay? But I need you to be able to downshift. I need you to work in gears three and four before you get to five and then get out of five pretty quickly because after we're done with our task, we got to conserve your air. We have to regroup. We have to be ready for the next one. So here's my case for submaximal training. First of all, if you're doing submaximal training versus maximal training or with maximal training, you have a better shot of working out more days per week you have a lower risk of injury and you have generally better recovery. Okay. And that's because you're not blowing yourself out every single day. Yes, there are chronic injuries, knee pain, hip pain, shoulder pain, foot injuries. All that stuff can come from sub maximal training because of the duration of the exercise. Absolutely. There's going to be certain injuries that come with running at a higher pace on a treadmill for 30 to 40 minutes or a, being on a bike for that long, or doing anything for that long, there can be chronic injuries. But in the acute sense, far less injuries, far less injury potential with submaximal training. Second one is that breathing and error management transference to real life. I don't want you to have to push through for seven minutes. I want you to have to think about your breathing over the course of 20, 30, 40 minutes. And we've all done it before. We've all been out of breath and then try to pause or keep working, keep riding the bike, keep walking, and take a few oh, big deep breaths, try to slow your heart rate down, get your wits about you, and so you can keep going, right? That's what I want. That's exactly what I want, because that's what I need on the fire ground. I don't need you to search a room, keep breathing like a maniac, search a room, keep breathing like a maniac, be out of air. I need you to search a room, recover, think, search a room, recover, think, that kind of thing, okay? I need the peaks and valleys in there, but I need you, like I said, be able to downshift. And the third thing is that exertion heat history. Now, we've all done heat history in the academy, right, where they sit you in the room and they say, okay, it's 300 degrees, okay, it's 600 degrees, okay, it's getting close to 1,000 degrees, it's getting hot, and you remember what each kind of gradient of heat feels like, so you can call on that later, so when you go into a building, you're like, okay, this this would be hot, but I know it's very relatively cool, even though it's 500 degrees, right? We need that same thing with our exercise. We need to be able to feel our heart rate and say, whoa, too high, come back down, or Hey, I'm handling this really well. My heart rate's relatively low right now. I know I still have a big capacity left and a lot of working time left in this. There's also a certain confidence that comes with pushing yourself in that 70 to 85% range for like 30 or 40 minutes because it's tough, okay? And I don't want you to I don't want you to get the wrong idea here. When we're talking about submaximal training, don't forget I'm not talking about marathon pace. I'm not thinking about. I'm not talking about shuffling or that weird thing where you're like, I could like trot slowly or I could walk quickly. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about 70 to 85 percent exertion for 20, 30, 40 minutes. Okay, and what that breaks down to. So, so I'll give you some numbers here. 220 minus my age. 220 minus 35 is 185. Okay, if I want to work at 70 percent of my max heart rate, I'm going to multiply 185 times 0.7, math guy, and I'm going to get 130 operating or walking or riding a bike at 130 beats per minute for 30 minutes would be okay. All right, it'd be, I'd have to catch my breath a few times. I'd probably speed up a few times, slow down a few times, but it's manageable. You can stay around 120, 130 for for a long time. If we just go up 5%, so now 185 times 0.75, that gives me 138, which is close enough to me for 140. Now 140 is where we're starting to work a little bit. Okay, That takes some actual effort to keep breathing calmly and also keep pushing at that level. And then as we go up, it just gets higher, right? 80%, 85%. I still got 10% of swing to go in my technical submaximal category. So don't don't pretend like uh, we're just kind of shuffling along here or we're taking a day off. This is not day off kind of stuff, especially we're going for the upper limit of what I'm suggesting is 40 minutes. 40 minutes at 80% of your max heart rate is no joke. And I think that's where a lot of people get turned off to sub-maximal training is they think it's, again, it's all or nothing. It's either CrossFit, high intensity, going crazy, wind up on a puddle on the floor, or recovery day. And I just wanna let you guys know there's a world of exercise in between those two. And we have to have experience with it because it is highly transferable to your job. Now, ways to get there. So how do we get there? How do we make it happen? what are some ways we can get into a submaximal heart rate and also work hard? Well, the first one is traditional, like quote unquote, cardio exercises, the bike, the stepper, walking on an incline, running the rower, any of those things where you can get your heart rate up and push for, like I said, 20, 30, 40 minutes. Those are tried and true ways to do it. Remember, don't get turned off by it. Remember, this isn't, Watching Mari at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on the bike, kind of flipping around channels and seeing what else is going on, playing on your phone. This is a dedicated near maximal but sub-maximal heart rate for an extended period of time. This should be difficult. So if you got visions in your head of a boring bike ride or a boring treadmill walk, get those out now. That's not what we're talking about. Second way, you can use moderate weights with adjusted reps and adjusted rest intervals and adjusted time and tension and tempo and all that stuff to getting that heart rate for a long time, right? So instead of doing three heavy back squats and then racking the bar and walking away for two and a half minutes, which is just another way of training, I'm going to put you maybe in a much lighter back squat or a goblet squat or a variation of a squat that's going to take you 45 seconds to a minute to complete, right? Now your heart rate's up. It's much longer duration, way more time under tension. Your heart rate's getting up there. Now I'm going to shorten your rest period a little bit. I don't want you to come all the way back down to baseline. I want you to come down a little bit, maybe just barely out of that submaximal zone, probably not even out of it, maybe down to 70% your max heart rate, and then go to the next thing. And while you're in that next thing, control your breathing, control your effort and exertion so you stay within that submaximal heart rate. Don't jump up in the max one. Don't do it. Control yourself so it may, that may lengthen the exercise out even longer. And you can use four or five-ish movements Cycled through like that three, four, five times. And before you know it, you're at half an hour. You've been clipping along at 70 to 85% of your max heart rate. You've done resistance training as well. I mean, we get the best of both worlds. Now, this is somewhere what I would see, where I would suggest reaching out to a coach. And I'm not saying call me. I'm not. This isn't a sales thing. I'm just saying sometimes it's better to have a coach program these sessions for you because they can get redundant because you're going to always fall back on goblet squats or lunges or rows or whatever. So it's good to have a coach that has a little more variety, but also programming in a smart way to avoid those form breakdown injuries and acute injuries is something a coach may be better versed at doing. Your other option is like throwing the beach body or the P90X DVD. Again, that's a little higher heart rate than we're looking for. Um, And it's much more of a generic approach. So there are some risks that come with that too. Don't mean to be Debbie Downer here. I know I'm talking about the risks of everything, But this is where I would get a coach's perspective from this thing, not necessarily just throwing stuff at the wall and getting tired, okay? And the third one, which is a fantastic one, I think we're going to do an episode on this in the future. I'm sure we will. But it's farmer's carries, loaded walks, loaded carries, load carriage, that kind of thing, which is basically putting on a weight vest or grabbing a backpack, filling it with some stuff, and walking around. This is a fantastic way to train for the first responder. Completely underrated, completely underutilized, horribly effective, incredible how high your heart rate can get just from walking with a little extra weight on you. Okay. It doesn't have to be much. I mean, 30% or less is a good guideline to go with. And there's some fantastic resources out there for that. And I'm going to kind of get into that in a later episode, but 30% or less go for a walk. Okay. And again, this isn't moseying down the street. If you're walking, you're like, okay, it's not really that tough. I don't see what the deal is speed up. If you're already walking quick, Put some more weight in your backpack or carry something in your hands or carry something on your shoulder. If that's still too easy, find a hill. This is one of the most scalable workouts. Get something heavy, take a walk, 20 minutes, half hour. It'll get your heart rate up. It'll work a ton on the cross-body connection and your lateral stability, frontal plane, all that stuff. It's good for everything. Pick up a weight and go for a walk. And that's the beauty of submaximal training. If you go with any of the three ways I just told you to do it, which is you know traditional cardio, moderate weights with adjustments to the time and tempo and rest and all that, or heavy carries, heavy walks for a longer duration, it takes possibly less equipment, less heavy equipment anyways, than maximal training. And if we do it right, it is just as challenging, if not more mentally challenging, than maximal training. It can be very, very hard to get 27 minutes in and not want to give up if you're actually in that sub-maximal 70 to 85% of your heart rate zone. That extra three minutes, or the extra 13 minutes, depending on how long you're going, can feel like a lifetime, okay? But that's the kind of thing, that's the kind of strain I want you to be under and still be able to control yourself, control your respirations, breathe through it, keep your head on straight, keep your cognitive ability with you, because that's what I need on the fire ground. I need you to give me good effort and as much mental capacity as you have for two bottles worth. I need two bottles out of you, plus some outside work before and after, okay? That's what I need you for. So sub-maximal training. And I hope that cleared up a lot of a lot of uh, gray area for you guys. Because I know when I think of it, there there can be a black and white, right? There can be all or nothing, I'm gonna work out hard today or I'm not working out at all, or I'm doing a recovery kind of easy day. But yeah, that, that range just below maximal, just below maximal. So 70 to 85% where you're working hard, but you can still function. That's where I see a ton, a ton, a ton of benefit. Okay. Like I said, keep doing your maximal training. Keep doing your high intensity stuff, smart CrossFit stuff. I had to put the smart disclaimer on there, right? Keep doing all that stuff. But if you're not doing sub-maximal training, take a look. Okay. Take a look at what it is. Try it out a few times. Let me know if you're struggling with it. If you need more ideas to get going with it. If you hate the three ideas you gave me, come up another one, throw it out there. We can talk about it. We can figure it out, but this is an area of training. I really, really want you to try. It's also a really, really good area. If you're looking to get into working out or getting into a fitness program, it can be considered a little bit easier to get into. Okay. Lower injury risk, a little less intense to begin with and not quite as intimidating as going to a gym and having to test your 1RM in front of people or risk an injury through that. So please check it out. As always, guys, I hope you found this purposeful, practical, and applicable. That's really my goal with this stuff. If you have any topics you want me to go over, shoot them over, man. I like doing this stuff. We're going to have more interviews coming up. I'm recording two interviews in the next week. You guys are really going to like. If you have any questions, my email is 4, the number 4th four shift fit. At gmail.com, you can find me on social Facebook and Instagram, mostly just Instagram though. I actually uh, deleted Facebook off my phone. I can still go on the computer and check it out, whenever. But I tell you what, having it off my phone has been pretty sweet. So hit me up on Instagram if you have it. Facebook, I definitely still check it once in a while. So if you got questions or anything, shoot me a question there. That's at four number four th fourth shift fitness. As always, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for hanging out and be a four shifter.